And it's like I told Witt after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out... What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat UVA 33-15. to We got the cup back, Robbie. Give us a cheers. Cheers to getting the cup back. 15 years in a row, have that go the other way. Most people, including us, were very skeptical about the ability for Virginia Tech to come out and snatch that back to bring it back to its rightful owner, the Virginia Tech Hokies, but we did. And on the backs of a lot of outstanding play on the field by the players, the guys that really, they worked their butts off in this game and really showed a lot of fortitude to make this happen uh, during a a really tough week leading into an even tougher week that we're going to get into of what could be on the horizon and understanding what are you playing for? And they showed what this game means. Virginia, Virginia Tech still remains a very good rivalry. It may not be the most, this isn't the egg bowl that somebody's peeing in the sidelines, you know, on a goalpost <laughs> or anything along those lines, but it still means a lot to a lot of people. Oh yeah. And the players came out and they showed that once again. So a huge hat tip to all the players that went out there and worked their butts off to go get the uh, Commonwealth cup back to, to Virginia tech. Cheers. Yeah, it was a kind of a weird weekend of football overall. I obviously it went well for, for us, but there weren't a ton of great games, but LSU Florida turned out to be a much better game than people anticipated. Uh, and that helped make up for Army Navy being a little bit of a dud this year. That was a little tough to watch. And UNC, they made mincemeat out of Miami. I thought that was going to be the best game of the weekend. And they beat them, I think, 62 to 26 and racked up like 500 rushing yards. Yeah, and 700, over 700 yards total, I think they got in that game, yeah. which... Our boy Colby Dant uh, had to eat a little bit of uh, crow on that one because he was so mad that the ACC was just trying to set this up to get two people into the playoff and couldn't give Miami a chance, and they just got destroyed. Just yeah. absolutely. And, and we all knew, like, or I don't know if we all knew, but there was a feeling that Miami was a little fraudulent. I mean, yeah. we we came very close to beat, beating them, and we're an under-500 team. So... Uh, they got what was coming to them, although I don't like to see UNC look so good, but but whatever. Let's hop into these news and notes. I think the biggest one was to start off with this. There's no bowl game this year. Nope. Fuente polled the players, asked them what they thought. They voted, and they voted not to go to a bowl game. So the bowl streak will come to an end, although we did finish 5-6, and six, and that's not a winning record. 
And you can debate whether you want it to go or not, but if the players don't want to go, I can't fault them at all. This has been a very tough year. Zero fault on on the players. They shouldn't be thinking about the bull streak. Even the people that are the most diehard bull streak people, I, it was a very nice and eloquent way that Fuente actually put it out there, which is we were going to play as one or we weren't going to play as all. They voted. They said some players wanted to play. Some did not. And if they weren't going to do it all together, then they they weren't going to do it all together. And that probably upset a few of the players that wanted yeah. to go to the bowl. But it was the right, in my mind, in my opinion, it was the right decision. And there's no question in my mind it was the right decision just to say, you know, it's been a rough season. Let kids go home, get fresh, be with their families. It's It's been taxing on, mm-hmm. imagine how it's taxing on you, me, everybody at home, everything that's going on in our lives. Imagine what's going on with them. Let them go home. Let them spend their time with their family. Yeah, I, I definitely don't fault them. I, I, I'm i not sure who like really, really cares about the ball streak. Maybe some of the older Hokies, like it's near and dear to their heart. I am indifferent. Like, yeah, I'd like to keep it going, but in the face of the pandemic and the cases being on the rise all throughout December, there's there's not really an unnecessary need to go play a meaningless game. Yeah. But I would I have wanted to watch it? Sure, of course I would. Yeah. But it's uh they they decided. So streak is over and we'll move on. We will get to Wit's comments from Tuesday uh in full after our UVA recap. If you don't care about the UVA recap, you can fast forward, but we're gonna get to Wit's comments and Fuente's comments a little bit later in the podcast. Today is early signing day. Not that many people care. It kind of went under the radar with how close it is to the end of the season and the championship game is not even being played yet. But it is early signing period. We picked up a nice running back recruit in Elijah Howard just, I think, yesterday. He flipped from Tennessee. We also flipped a defensive tackle from USF and added a safety from Fork Union. And then one more late addition, a wide receiver out of Richmond, DJ Sims. All within the last, you know, few days, last week or so, uh, to finish out this class. Now we know we don't have a real headliner, but did you have any overall thoughts on the class? No, it's a big class. So I mean, we needed that. We needed a lot of depth, and I think Fuente, not to jump ahead to his comments, but there's a there's a buffer that happens this year because of the one extra year of eligibility that people have. So there's a little bit more freedom that you don't have to actually replace, you know, a senior if you actually bring in somebody new, which I thought was um, nice that he articulated that to people and helped them understand. I'm going to go through it in a lot more depth as we get to the regular signing day. I spent a lot more time going through Witt's announcements, going mm-hmm. through the game, and then going through Fuente's announcements. But overall, it, it, it's a big class. I think we filled some obvious needs, and then we're just going to have to see how those players develop, which is going to feed into a lot of our commentary throughout the podcast. The big names in the class were DJ Harvey. He was the highest rated in the composite. He's from California. I believe he's a, he's a defensive back. I believe he's a corner. Uh, Jack Hollifield, Dax, Dax's brother, he was a big name in the class. Jalen Stroman, Greg Stroman's brother, uh, continuing that tradition. But Kenji Christian and the the new recruit, Howard, those are really nice additions. I like Christian's tape. I don't know if he'll stay at running back. I hope he does. He's a big dude. Uh, and that Elijah Howard kid's a running back too. So when we're losing Herbert, uh, we're going to be gaining some of these guys coming in. And, and we got to fill out that running back 
room. Uh, Harvey was the only four-star, according to 247's in-house rankings. He was a three-star in the composite. There were no composite four-stars. That's been talked about a lot. The class finished 43rd nationally. And now, keep in mind, that is changing by the hour today, uh, just because more recruits are coming in. But it's in the mid-40s. Who knows where it will finish. It'll probably finish around there in a couple months. when, Because I think they pushed National Signing Day back to like April or something like that. Yeah, they had to slide it back because of... <laughs> We're still in the you know the period where nobody can talk and any of those sorts of things. But I do. I mean, I, I'm going to hold some of my commentary because Fuente hit on it in his okay. commentary. So about the signing class, which I actually thought was more transparent than he's ever been about the signing class and some of the things that they had on their board, what they got, what they you know didn't get. So I, I totally agree with you and. Yeah, that, that dark period on being able to talk to players obviously has set everything back. It finished 10th in the ACC, but in the 247 in-house rankings, the class was 8th and 34th in the country. And you hear 34th, and it's like, okay, that's there is a baseline of recruiting that needs to happen for us at Tech, and then you need to develop on top of that. And I would say thirty between 30 and 20 is where we should be, but 34 isn't too far off. However, there's a lot of guys in this class. So I don't know how much that plays in to 247's in-house rankings when they're putting those together. But it is worthy to note that most of the guys are ranked higher by 247 than all the other services, which I don't think is a bad thing. O-linemen Doug Nestor and Brian Hudson are in the transfer portal. That hit yesterday right after Witt's comments. Uh, we'll see if Vance Weiss or Fuente can convince them to stay. They kind of referenced that, um, that maybe they're going to try to get those two guys to stick around. But losing two four-star offensive linemen to the portal, that is is not great considering the year we just had and, and the week we just had with, with Witt's comments. Yeah, I have so much to say on that. I don't even want to get started because it's just, okay. it's so painful that it just, uh, I'll handle that during the okay. rest because it's so bad that that happened right after Witt's comments. Hokey hoops before we get to the game. They got whipped by Penn State last week, cut shot out of the building. Uh, it just wasn't good from the start. But they played better versus Clemson a couple nights ago. It wasn't a great shooting night for us, just 41% for the game. But they they shot better than Clemson. Um, and they were able to pull out the win. Radford had a big bucket at the end of the game. He had 15 points. Uh, Aline and Aluma both had 13. It was... Not a pretty game, but a much-needed victory. And, hey, Clemson was ranked. Now we got a win over Nova and a win over Clemson. Two ranked wins, number 24, and I think it was number, what, three at the time three, over think, Villanova. Yeah. So those are two go- good wins. The game before, it it was tough. I mean, that, that team was shooting lights out. It, what are you going to do? It, it, you go up to and play that team. It, I think... Um, this is a really great start for what they're doing this season, and especially the first game in ACC play. I think they have a lot to build on. The ACC in general this year is not looking up to par to what it might be in past years, and I know that might end up hurting us in terms of you know RPI and things like that. You know, as you move on through the season, but this team I think has the talent, the depth to really 
do some damage in the ACC this year. I'm pretty excited about it, and they're going to have off games. Everybody does, and you'd rather take it earlier in the season than later, and that Clemson win just shows that they got back on their feet, and they're ready to go. Yeah, and <laughs> the next two games provide a little bit of a re-warm-up. They're playing Coppin State and Longwood on Saturday and Monday before getting strictly into ACC play, and just on your ACC point, the first day of the ACC Big Ten Challenge was rough. <laughs> yes. I think UNC and Duke both lost. Uh, we took it on the chin big time in most of the games. I, I think, think we lost all- seven out of eight Yeah, games. Ohio State was down big to Notre Dame, but then came back and won. Uh, and then the next day, though, ACC won all but one game, I think. So yeah. we lost the challenge, but it was a lot closer than it could have been. Yep. All right, let's get into the player update and then the game recap. Turner did play in this game, and it was a nice addition to have him out in the field. Chapman and Strong started at corner. Nestor was back, but he didn't start. Austin Cannon started, and Burmeister got the start at quarterback. It didn't matter to me whether Burmeister or Hooker started this game. I felt comfortable with either guy going in. I did kind of feel that Burmeister was the right choice because Hooker's play had been slipping. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it was the right choice. I mean, period. It, he had just been, he, he has more of a pass threat. And this is coming from the same podcast that said Hooker was the decision all along, but mm-hmm. it had it had tailed off a little bit, whether it's confidence, whether it's momentum, any of those sorts of things. But the downfield threat, I think, was really important to put into this game and what they did put into this game. So, it's no slight against Hooker. It's no like, you know, it's no saying Burmeister's better. I just think he was the better selection for this game and the coaching staff made the right choice and yep. it was shown on the field. So we scored a field goal on the first drive and UVA answered with a touchdown to go up seven to three, but we responded with a 17 play 75 yard drive capped with a jet sweep TD run by Trey Turner to make it 10 to seven. We muffed a punt, but UVA missed a field goal attempt, and then we scored on our next four drives in a row. Field goal, touchdown, touchdown, field goal. The touchdown's coming on the 76-yard run by Herbert and the 60-yard pass from Burmeister to Robinson. And after the long TD run to make it 20-7, to I didn't think there was any way we were going to lose the game. No, it never felt in question. And Burmeister coming back and... and 15 for 22, 212 yards with TD, ran for another 36 yards. He, It was relatively under control on what he was doing under center. So I, I felt pretty good going into um, out of the first half and then into the second half. Yeah. UVA added a touchdown in the third quarter. We added a field goal in the fourth quarter. But it was kind of just get us to the finish line in the second half. We won 33-15. to 15. A little bit of a strange score, but a decisive victory. And my story of the game was we were the more fired up, ready-to-go team, and we were in control pretty much the whole time. Yeah, Khalil Harbert did it again. 162 yards on 20 carries, another touchdown. And that 78-yard run was just a track meet. It was... It, the. He outran two de- defenders. Just it, it was incredible. Holston had 58 yards on 14 carries. Robinson, 98 yards on five catches. That 60-yard reception that you alluded to was so beautiful. And it was just such a great 
play. Mitchell had 67 yards on three receptions, and they had that 41-yard one-handed catch down the left-hand side, which was incredible. And I think it made, you know, a couple of different, you know, voting for the top catches where he just Mm -hmm. kind of tipped it up and he never touched it with the other hand. He scooped it right in. And then just to finish off the offensive playing, Armstrong went four for four. He had two 47 yarders and then a 46 yarder. That, I mean, that's impressive for, for, you know, field goals and what he did in that game. Oh, Brian Johnson. Yes, yeah, sorry, I said Armstrong. Yeah. Yes, you got mixed up with Brennan Armstrong. <laughs> yes, Brennan Armstrong, Brian Johnson. I'm writing all my notes. I got you. Together, yeah, four so. for four, man. That was that was great. Uh, we were nine of sixteen on third down in this game, and that had a lot to do with Burmeister's play. You mentioned the fifteen of twenty-two, uh, thirty-six more rush yards, and eighty-four point eight QBR, and he was Pro Football Focus's best QB of the week yeah. for the performance. Uh, his last two games against Clemson and UVA, 74% completion on 34 attempts and 9.9 yards per attempt. He was extremely efficient. Yep. It was, um, it was impressive. All right, let's flip over to the defense. They only allowed 4.7 yards per play. That was the second best average of the season. The only game that we played better on defense was Miami. It just gave up 55 yards rushing and had four sacks. We were coming for Armstrong all game. Yeah, the 55 yards, I had to look at that twice. It's so hard when you watch the game and then you go look at the stats. Sometimes you look at the stats and then you go back to the game and they don't marry up. But that was incredible. Armstrong led the team with 23 yards on 15 carries. So that's uh, absolutely brutal. The longest play from scrimmage was 33 yards, and that was, a, I think, a pass play to um, Davis Jr. that they had. We had four sacks, six tackles for a loss. It was, And then you had two interceptions, one from Strong, one from Diablo. Both of them had an interception. It, it was just a great, great defensive outing. And then Diablo with the huge hit on that pass oh, over yeah. the center and just asserting... He laid out. Keaton Thompson, man, he was he wasn't doing well after that. He had a couple really hard hits in that game. Diablo had a good game. Yeah, and that was a clean hit. I watched it like three times yeah. for playing it. He threw his shoulder down, head out of the way. So yeah, it was a hard hit, and I kind of felt bad almost because of how hard he <laughs> I got didn't hit. feel that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. I'm more sympathetic soul than you are, I guess. But he demolished him. But it was the cleanest hit. He tucked his head to the right. Yeah led with his shoulder and perfectly clean hit and and the ref was sitting right in front of it and he just like kind of threw his hands up he was like incomplete no penalty there wasn't reviewed nothing it was just a great hit yeah that's one of the hardest hits you can give without getting a penalty in 2020 is what diablo did on that one two pass breakups for connor you mentioned the interception for strong who continues to impress me as a true freshman i'm look look forward to seeing him play the next few years Barno was great again. Two tackles for loss and a sack. His play impressed me all year long. Way ahead of schedule in terms of where I thought he'd be. And hopefully he can get in the weight room and get better going to next year as well. One last note on Brendan Armstrong. He had a 50.8 QBR. That was the worst of any game where he finished a game this year. So in the NC State game, he had a lower one, but he left the game early. I think that was the concussion game. Yep. So of any game he played the whole time, this was his worst game. So that's a huge credit to our defense because he was on a roll. He was going over 300, 400 yards the last two games, 
we held them to under 300 total and two interceptions. So it was a it was a good day for the D. And I'd say, other than the second half of that pit game where things just got out of hand, the D seemed to really improve down the stretch of the season. Yeah, they just they got their feet underneath them. They got confident. They got that energy. They were coached well. They were focused. They were seeing the field better all across the board. I, I couldn't say enough about And there were no holes. Like yeah. you say all across the board and you mean it. Like it was everyone gave a solid performance. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And even the people that weren't necessarily leading tackles, getting sacks, they were in the right position. They were in the right place. They were seeing the field the correct way. They were reading Armstrong and what he was going to do, whether it was on the run or on the pass. It it was honestly it, it was a huge leap forward in this game for this defense, and I was extremely impressed. One thing we, we have to correct for next year is we got to find someone who can catch a punt. Yeah. I, I don't know why this is such a problem for us the last two seasons, and they put James Mitchell back there, and even he muffed one. And, I, I, and then you had Farley on Twitter saying, like, he wanted to be the punt returner or whatever. It's like, dude – Come on, man. Like this this isn't helping anything. I I just don't know why we can't find someone to catch a punt. I don't even believe that's necessarily even the coach's fault. Like it's just like go out there and catch a ball. Like I I I don't know. Do it's you one have any of those situations. Yeah, it's one of those situations where as soon as I saw Mitchell back there, I just thought to myself, we're way overthinking this whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just don't yeah. overthink it. Whether you're putting Robinson back there, put whoever, give them confidence, have them take a ton of punt returns in practice, have people running up on them, screaming in their face, do whatever you need to. And then when we put Mitchell back, I I said it on Twitter. I was like, oh, goodness gracious. I was like, now we're just really overthinking it. Now we're just like throwing back people to seeing who can actually catch the punt. And of course... It didn't work out well, obviously. Yeah. Got to got to figure that out for next year. My final thoughts are as I'm I'm extremely happy for the kids. It was a tough year, a, a long stretch of, of losing games, and I'm happy to get the cup back. That it doesn't save the season, but it's a much better taste in my mouth ending the season with the Commonwealth Cup. And I'm kind of personally happy that the season is over. I mean, we've been <laughs> recording every week for 16, 17 weeks. And yes, like I said earlier, I want to see a bowl game. That would have been fun. But man, it's I'm ready to be done with COVID season. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a little tiring. I mean, we've and I think we've kept our energy up pretty well. I think we talk pretty positively about the the team and I feel really good about the players that and what they've done this season amidst almost incredible odds of actually playing 11 games. It's actually and it's a huge testament to what they've done and had to go through sure. and having nasal swabs shoved up their nose and not seeing their family and worrying about what's going on with their family, all those sorts of things. So not to, well, we're about to get into a different segment of this, which is uh, the wit and the wit discussion. And, but I will never take anything away from what these players did this year and the way that they came out and they tried to stay as healthy as they could and put together a season. And some teams only came out and put out five games. This team mm-hmm. came out and put together a full 11 game slate. So I can't say enough about them, their fortitude, 
what they did, what they had to give up and sacrifice during times that were were really tough. Yeah, it was it was a miracle that we played all 11 games. I'm I'm still surprised by it looking back. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Does your brother like beer? Yeah, your brother likes beer. Does your mom like wine? Yes, your mom likes wine. Head to both of Downtown Crown and Dominion's locations. Get your family some alcohol for this Christmas. It's the only way to get through the end of 2020. Give the gift of alcohol. They have the best selection. They got an incredible staff that's extremely knowledgeable, will help you help point you in the right direction for what you need or what your family would desire. So make sure to hit up our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. They're in Gaithersburg, they're in Falls Church. We talked about them every week all season and they're on Instagram. Make sure to follow them on Instagram. They'll keep you updated throughout the holidays of all the stuff that's coming in. But right now, Robbie, I want to know what you're drinking. So I'm having a Mosaic Vision. It's a hazy IPA brewed with Mosaic, Mosaic, Syro, which I don't even know. C-R-Y-O. I haven't heard of that kind of hop. No, I haven't heard that one. Galaxy Hops. Uh, This is from Dynasty Brewing Company, which is out of Ashburn, Virginia, which is where... Oh. I went to high school and I grew up. Uh, I haven't been to their brewery. And actually, when me and my wife looked at the can, we were surprised that it was that close by and that we haven't been there. So um, Broad Run High School represent. It's Ashburn and Leesburg, Virginia. Very good, actually. It's a really good beer. It looks, uh, I don't know. Can you tell? It's got yeah. a little bit of... Uh, that's George Washington. Yeah, it's got a little uh, little George Washington on it with wearing glasses. So the can's <laughs> pretty cool. The beer is actually, it's not great, but it's I think it's a really good kind of hazy IPA. And it's, it's worth uh, testing out. I want to go and check out the brewery if they're open or whenever they open and go see what they got going on there because it's, it's pretty tasty. It's not like the best I've had, but it's a good one and i've never heard of this brewery before and it's 30 minutes away from where i live nice man yeah that sounds pretty good i'm not drinking tonight i am sorry i know there's been too many episodes this year where either me or robbie didn't drink the thing is we're just getting old and i I, i'm doctor's orders i'm not supposed to drink tonight so i will uh i'll leave it at that and uh i'll be back drinking on our next episode let's jump into our head coach and his future with the team On Monday, we heard there was going to be a 1 p.m. press conference on Tuesday. And I think we were all kind of expecting that press conference to be when we fired Justin Fuente. I think at least some people were. I think other people were more skeptical. And it wasn't that. If anything, it was an endorsement of Justin Fuente. We were figuring that leading up because the night before, Brett McMurphy put out the tweet saying, there were sources that Fuente is going to return. People started to get a little bit worked up. And then when we found out the next day, it was the case. Witt had a 20-minute intro of a lengthy statement that we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, basically backing Fuente. And there was a lot of smoke over the weekend that he was going to be fired. So to me, it was kind of like, what happened here? What 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 was... Wit's decision-making process. And I know I'm bouncing around just a little bit, but um, I think there were three things that could have happened. One, Witt decided that Fuente had done well enough 
and the buyout was too much, so they kept him. Two, the Board of Visitors, or Tim Sands, killed the idea of firing him. Or three, Witt approached his top candidates, they said no, and he didn't want to fire Fuente without having his new guy lined up. I'm quite certain number two didn't happen. So okay. that, that, You don't think Sands and the Board of Visitors killed it? No. No, I think I think Sands and the Board of Visitors probably. I, I feel like we have to use the words that uh, Stephen Godfrey uses all the time on uh, on. I think <laughs> I think I, know. I feel I know. <laughs> yeah, I I firmly think how's that that it wasn't number two. I think the okay. Board of Visitors probably told Wit that they had an opinion and that but they would go with whatever wit, you know, thought would be best. There are people that like to make fun of the fact of having like sources. We, we call them sauces at this point yes. on the key, the key play, other things. Then um, I think I've been very sharing with you and, and sharing with Joe and people that I trust about people that are maybe either on the board of visitors or, have been on the board of visitors or maybe are affiliated with the board of visitors of, of what's going on in the program. And I, I don't think that was, that was true. My, I, I said that I would happily eat crow if Fuente was not gone because the money Wit himself said it absolutely. If, if it was the right decision could have been available and we yeah. could have made it. Money wasn't the issue. It was not the issue. He said that numerous times, the money was certainly available if, it was the decision. So I, my, what I think, how's that, is that the board of visitors, everybody, Sands, said it's in Wit's discretion to make the choice that he wanted to make. Now, now you have to switch over. So then, now it's in Wit's court. When he went after Fuente, he said he only went after one person. It was Fuente. I'm, I'm pretty sure when he went after Buzz, he only went after one person, and I'm pretty sure. And I don't know this one for a fact, but when he went after Mike Young, I'm not certain that he went on like a really broad sweep of coaching candidates <laughs> for, for that. It was a pretty limited number of people. So he doesn't seem the type that is willing to kind of go down the list of, well, I didn't get number one or two, so let's go to three or four. Mm -hmm. So that's a possibility. That's what I think. How's that? Yeah. Yeah, and I would I'd lean towards number three, which is he approached top candidates or considered top candidates, and decided either he didn't like them good well enough or he didn't couldn't get them. You know, one of the two, and he's like, you know what, I'm not gonna just go hire the fifth person on my list uh, because I don't think that's right. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna grin and bear it for a year, and that's my opinion. I don't know if that's true, but. I don't think Sands cares enough. I really don't to stop Wit. No. Uh, um, and I, I, I think that Wit just decided that it, this is not the right coaching search time. I, and because I don't think he wants Fuente here. I, I'm, I do not with the cash cow that college football is for Virginia Tech and how important it is. And he said that. He doesn't want a guy who's going to have a losing record two out of the last three years. He doesn't want him here. However, this is a 
as Godfrey put it, a bite down hard on 2021 and find your guy next year. That's what this is. Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. And I, it, it may well be true. It, it is very confounding how this whole thing played out. Yeah. To, to and when it, you're hearing Wit and his comments, which we're now going to get to, the prepared statement was lengthy and it came with a bit of a defensive tone. Wit's body language, he was a little slumped over. He looked a little tired. He looked a little defeated. Um, and then he's saying stuff that as someone who doesn't think Fuente's right for the program, and that's okay if you do, uh, it didn't seem entirely believable, but it was also like making my stomach turn because he said, we believe he's the right guy. Give me your thoughts on just some of the comments you heard. So he said, I liked how I went back. I listened. I, I read all the comments. I didn't get to watch it live. So I went back and I, I watched the whole thing beginning to end. And I did the same thing with the Fuente announcement, which we're going to get into. So apologies for everybody, but this podcast can be a little bit longer. He said the fans deserve more than just a press or, or just like a um, press release, and which is fair. I think that's right. But the fans also deserve the right the right presser, the right message. And he didn't give any of those things. Like those are not, you You have to then give, deliver the right message. And then he said, I didn't get this from any message boards at all, which it, it's just, that was the first like kind of, and he said it with a smile, which is like kind of a mocking slap in the face yeah. to people. And um, it just wasn't. And then he said, it's difficult to, to plan for us is what I have been scouted and what I've talked to people about. Yeah, he was talking to other people like scouting reports about our team. And that's what made him feel more comfortable to keep Fuente because the other teams feel that we're hard to prepare for. Yeah. Like, what are they going to say to you? Like, I, like, are they supposed to say, no, your team stinks? Like yeah. I, I, that was a very strange portion of it. I th- I thought what you first said when you started commenting was the presser in general, when you're keeping your coach is an oddity. You don't normally have a press conference to tell people you're t- keeping your coach, but when you do and you call it on the day, the buyout drops, and then say you're keeping him. It's weird. And then to have it not aired by the university to have the AD read off a piece of paper slumped over on a desk and sound defensive, a little bit argumentative. Um, and like I said, looked like a guy who had been beaten up. Like it, it just didn't come across right. I'll add one more piece to that. The laughs were not, were not like, I like reading people's body language and what they do and what they say. And the like, Side gesture laughs were actually to me more upsetting than anything else. Like the whole, like, like, like you said something that you know more than me about. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. You know what I know more about than you do? Virginia Tech football. You know why? Because (laughs) we, we talk about it constantly. We've been around it like for a long time. We have people commenting to us constantly that have been fans for like 40, 50 years, like all the time. So like, if you're going to look at the fan base and like call everybody that comments on your program, social media mob and like be a mocking tone on that kind of thing. It's, it is so short-sighted. 
And and, and I and I said this earlier on the key play. I was like, those the pro there are programs that can do that. That can say that can push down media into like, hey, you don't matter. To that can do those sorts of things to say all the podcasts out there don't matter to all the web pages don't matter to all the media boards and, and like message boards. They don't matter. Yeah, yeah. You know what those programs do? They win and they don't need money. Guess what? You can do that at Michigan. Even though as bad of a season as they had, they can, they can like shrug people aside. You can do that. At Ohio state. You can do that. At Alabama. You can do that anywhere that you want. Florida. Even you, you can do that in a lot of places you can't do that in Virginia Tech. And quite frankly, it's a slap in the face to the culture that you actually instilled in in not him and not Fuente and nobody else and not Sands. It's a Virginia Tech culture that has been built over years and years and decades and decades to come to respect each other and respect the football program. And to act like you're higher than that is a fault is a fault of epic proportions. Like you cannot do that because guess what? You and I talked about it the other day. You are not bigger than the fan base. You are not bigger than the alumni. You're not bigger than the players. You're not bigger than the school and you're not bigger than the logo that people walk around on their sweatshirts and their jerseys and those sorts of things. You are an employee of those things and you are, you are accountable to do what's in their best interest because guess what? At the end of the day, if they're not invested in what you are selling and what you are building, then they're just going to walk away. Yeah. That social media mob comment. And then immediately after those people that threatened to pull donations usually don't give very much. That's what got a lot of the attention. And that social media mob comment that you just talked about, it's uh, this in this day and age, social media should be embraced, not pushed to the side. And and David Teal kind of did it too. He said, Twitter's a place for angry people on our podcast last week. And I'm not blaming David because it is a place for angry people in some ways, but it's also a place for people to gather, talk about the things they love, embrace the things that they love when they believe in it. And it's not a mob. It's, it's a community. And listen, I know there's a lot of bad shit on Twitter. I know there is. And you can blame all the bad recruiting stuff and, oh, recruits are reading your tweets. and bl- Screw all that. Twitter is a place for Virginia Tech alumni and all the other college football alumni and anyone in any community to gather and talk and enjoy or talk crap about something they're invested in. And that's our God-given right. You don't go out there and say, well, you people don't matter because you don't give very much. You know how many people are on freaking Twitter? Everyone's on freaking Twitter. So there, some of those people are giving a lot. I, I, and like people that are threatening to pull their donations, we know for a fact, big time donors that are threatening or just flat out said, I'm not giving this year because of this. So to, to, to say that that's not true or they don't give very much, that's patently false. And we know that for a fact. And to dumb down all the people that cover this team, all the podcasts, we joke about how many freaking Virginia Tech podcasts there are out there and how stupid it is that there are this many. However, it means that there's a deep love for this program and that we all grew up caring about it and going to the school and living through the good times so much so that we want to talk about it week in and week out. Some people, you know, as their full-time means of trying to get money. So I, 
I just thought that was extremely offensive, and not, not just to me and you, but to anyone who covers this team on social media, and and was like very belittling. And I and I thought you were exactly right. The whole thing, the whole statement, reeked of ego that I know better than you, and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna take this decision because I know better. A few of us all texted each other and said, like, it made my stomach hurt a little bit. And it did. Like, and I don't mean that in like a, like a condescending no. way to wit because I, I and did. I went into wit has always been so articulate, calculating in what he does. And um, the way that he came out just didn't work. I'll also say, wit came out today on. Twitter and said, made amends in, in a, in a little bit and said, I would, you know, I'm sorry for my mistake during my statements and said, he'll pay, he'll contribute $25 per every positive tweet that somebody will retweet that puts out there up to $10,000. And, and what happened? People just got around that. Like <laughs> I retweeted it. You retweeted it. Everybody that we know that is evidently the social mob retweeted it. Uh, and I think Wit took a breather, hopefully a good night's sleep, and then came back. I don't and, think he had a good night's sleep. <laughs> no. Well, he definitely didn't have a good night's sleep because but he but he woke up with a better approach than he took during that press conference. Shows a person that is being more humble and understanding and that's what i've always understood and respected wit to be so i was appreciative of that so it was a nice olive branch i suppose uh, it doesn't make up for the damage that was done and i'm not even sure how many people like saw that tweet i mean yeah sure the 500 or so that replied to it saw it but not as much as heard or wrote about that press conference and so he's still got making up to do and i agree with you that it was out of character for him to come across so poorly because he is so polished and he has made several right moves. I mean, in theory, he made three great hires like Mike Young, Buzz Williams, and Justin Fuente. We all thought were great at the time. Two seemed to be going really well and the third, not so much. But in all of his appearances, he has, he has come across very well. Like he knows what he's doing and that I feel confident in this guy. And I have to admit, my confidence was shaken. Despite his little apology today, my confidence is shaken, and, and maybe he's not a good AD. I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, that time will tell. And someone said to me yesterday, ADs are like offensive linemen. Most people don't know who they are unless they're really good or they commit penalties. <laughs> and, and yesterday he committed a penalty. Yeah. And and I know that he's done well for basketball, and that's that's fantastic. We've done well in other sports, wrestling, soccer. We're killing it. But let's be serious. 80% of what he's supposed to do is make football successful. Like, probably about 80%. That's my percentage on it, but it's probably about right. And currently, he's failing. He is failing. So I, I think... Uh, He's got some work to do to make up for this. And and let's just do some quick hits and we'll move to Fuente's comments. Yeah, I'm gonna he said they're going to... I'm going to finish my last statement because oh, sure. I'm going to let you do the quick hits. Fuente came out. He put his badge on the line for corn. 
Now Wits come out and put his badge on the line for Fuente. And if things do not get better, Sands is going to have to come out and do the same for Wit. Otherwise, this is this just doesn't gonna isn't gonna work. So everybody is out. It it feels as though everybody is out to protect everybody else. And the performance on the field, not losing to Liberty, all those sorts of things need to take place. Otherwise, this thing's gonna crumble. No, yeah, he definitely he definitely stuck his neck out for Fu. And I'm not exactly sure why he did it, because he could have distanced himself in that presser. He, he could have said, you know, we're going to let Justin, you know, make it up and blah, blah, blah. But he could have done it in a way that kind of distanced himself. And he did, did not do that one iota. Some other quick hits. 15 to 20 donors have agreed to chip in $12.5 million over the next five years for a football infrastructure fund, uh, additional staff positions or recruiting budget, whatever. So I guess that was one good takeaway. Um, the, a couple of the bad things. We've not given this staff a fair shake. Uh, in some ways, it's year one for Fuente after losing Bud Foster and kind of getting his full stamp on the program. No one liked that year one comment. I understood what he was trying to say, but it's a bunch of bullshit. So we'll just kind of move on from there unless you want to comment. Uh, there seems to be no walls up between the program and the fans. He said there were no walls, but the presser wasn't even aired by the university wall that's a wall <laughs> so screw that comment that was bullshit no that uh, one they're gonna that, humanize that one is fucking... and now we have to put the expletives on this episode because that is outrageous and guess what this is this is going to be a very upfront episode that probably i'm going to say a bunch of things that i shouldn't say but like the media that has actually had anything to say about this program that this program has disagreed with has been boxed out Unless you actually suck of this program, you don't actually get any access, interviews, anything to do with the program. It's happened time and time. In fact, a lot of times you get boxed out. There's no fan day. You you eliminated all of like our ability to see like practices. You eliminated like spring game. Like you cannot be more stupid to actually say a comment like that. Like to be so blindsided to the fact that you have walled off everything that used to make this program great is that was actually the epitome of how dumb his comments were. And then Fuente backed it up. It it, it was outrageous. And it's just so tone deaf. I can't even begin. Like the fact that the university, I know that WBDJ or whatever aired it on Facebook, but like, how is there no Virginia Tech live stream? And you're going to say there's no walls in the program. I mean, it was so like, it was like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, you got to be kidding me with this. We know, th- you know, the access has been cut down. So, so don't lie about it. Uh, next thing was they're going to humanize Brad Cornelson. That's fucking great. I'm, oh yeah, that's, that's what everybody wants. More words from Corn's mouth. No one gives a shit about Brad Cornelson and what he has to say. They only care if he's better on third down and in the red zone, okay? Like, if he if his offense would translate to victories, we wouldn't need to hear a peep from him. We don't care about hearing from Brad Cornelson. Yeah. Brett Venables is always out there giving press conferences. He's like, that's that's his main job. Is Brett, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, that's what his number one responsibility is because nobody gives Whit a shit. Wit gave sh- us a... 
Witt gave us a bunch of BS reasons why firing him now would screw us over, including hurting the recruiting class and blah, 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 blah. Same thing would happen I could have countered. I could have countered every single one of those arguments. Uh, they were all bullshit. The same thing would um, happen next year. Literally, yeah. you're just rolling it forth. So basically, you have a job into perpetuity because every single year... There's always going to be something. And guess what? Two of our best players just jumped in the portal. So so what... Like, what, like, what are you saving by not firing him? Like, the, the recruiting class is in the 40s. Like, wh- who cares? <sighs> no contract changes. That was another thing. We thought there might be a small cut to Fuente's contract or buyout or something. No changes were made. Um, and then afterwards, and I know we said we were going to wrap it up and like end with the olive branch part by Wit, but after the presser, Wit got on Twitter and was like going at it with a couple fans. And maybe going at it isn't the right word, but responding to fans, like trying to explain himself, saying like, you got my message all wrong. Mike Barber's just stirring it up, blah, blah, blah. It was like... Dude, stop. You gotta stop. <laughs> I know he came off angry, but like it just makes me sad. It just that's all it is. It just makes yeah, me and, sad. And and there are probably people out there, like I had a couple people tweet at me saying, I thought it was a good press conference. Thought it was fine. I, I respected what he had to say. And like, yeah, I guess the intention was fine to explain. He, I mean, the fact that Witt felt the need to explain why we're keeping such a bad coach tells you all you need to know. And and I, I in some ways, I do appreciate the honesty. I really do. That would be another one of my positive takeaways. Yeah. I appreciate the honesty. But at the same time, there was a lot of dishonest moments in some of that honesty. Or defensive moments. And yeah. if you, the number one thing, Thing that you can't do in a position if you're going to get in front of the public like that you can't be defensive like that is like and you and i talked about this like the number one you thing you can't do is be defensive because it just that's the chink in the armor like mm-hmm. everybody's going to jab into it and they're going to see right through you you're going to be like transparent they're going to see right through everything that you're saying and he may be tired and I'm sure Fuente's tired. I'm sure the coaching staff is tired. It, it's been a long season, and I get all of that. Then just don't do the press conference. Like, and, and that's what I come back to. And I know, and I thought about this last night. I was like taking, I was like sleeping, and I was like, is that, is that, is that contradicting what I'm saying about being transparent? And I don't think it is. No, be transparent when you are prepared. And, and ready to be transparent. This was a rush to transparency to try and save the recruiting class. That's mm-hmm. what this was. And like, sadly, and this message goes out to anybody that would ever listen to this, Virginia Tech fans happen to be relatively intelligent and we can see through bullshit. So like, we knew exactly, well, First of all, I would have done it on Monday instead of doing it on the day the buyout drops, which was the stupidest fucking move I've ever seen in my entire it life. It was insane. And, so stupid. You know, yeah. Spend those four hours on Sunday talking to everybody instead of, and then you could have done the, but then doing it on Tuesday, it was like a, a, a grasp at like, hey, not only is the buyout dropping, but we have this much more confidence in Fuente. It was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. And then... 
to like think that Virginia Tech fans are so gullible and stupid that they don't see right through the fact that signing day is the next day. Like what you're basically saying that like, we don't understand how college football works. Like you're basically trying to persuade us into understanding and manipulate us into understanding something that isn't actually true. It was yeah painful. Like it was honestly thought, painful. Let's just uh, end on a light note of Witt's comments. I thought the funniest part was he said, will this decision be right? I have no earthly idea. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, uh, that inspires a lot of confidence. Th- thanks for that. No, but um, I, I will give him credit. The reason he was saying that is because I know, he went I know. out on I'm a ledge kind of to fun. like do something, but it completely backfired and it just showed so just so it just like the media accounts. It just showed like, it just showed how unorganized we are in the way that we approach our fan base, our donors, our alumni, our former players, all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And the, the, the ability for us to attack a problem head on and solve it from wit on down, it's, it's not there. It doesn't exist. And, and it, doesn't provide me a lot of confidence, and I'm going to go off of all the other great things Witt has done, but he has to get football right. He has to get football right, yeah. and we'll see what happens over the next next year. Let's get into Fu's comments. Uh, he said today no changes were made to the coaching staff. Surprise, surprise. Five and six with 20 seniors and 24 juniors, and not one person's going to lose their job. I would assume that this is the COVID defense that this was a very difficult year only for Virginia Tech and no other school. And the fact that this was supposed to be a year where we cycle up and actually compete for the ACC, we fell flat on our face. Nope, doesn't matter. Everyone's keeping their job. What did you think of Foo's comments, that and otherwise? I mean, I thought they were better than Wits, honestly. (laughs) No, but I'm being serious. That's not a joke. I mean, he was... um, he was calm in his approach. He was honest in his approach. He looked more energetic than Wit looked like he was about to fall asleep. He talked about Tap um, having this plan to do like cool things to bring in former players and how COVID didn't allow them to do any of those things, which I thought was cool because I, I mean, I respect Tap so much and I think he probably did come up with some good ideas that got scuttled. Yeah, Tap's our guy, man. Yeah, and that got scuttled because of COVID, like legitimate, like, not yeah. Hey, blaming it on COVID, but it, it was more. You can't do gatherings, could. so yeah. Yeah, you said Diablo and Harbor are not coming back. Big surprise. I did say another point of transparency that he did open up to, and I hope, I hope it builds. And I, and maybe it's just a one-time thing. Was he said they pulled up their board from January fifteenth, and they said they got seventeen of their twenty-one signees that were on their first board. So they missed on four and we'll never see that board. We'll never know if that's true, but to put numbers behind it and start to give that a little, a bit of transparency, I thought was, was nice. It's, it's not, it's not going to solve anything. It's not going to make me feel like great about things, but it's a little bit. Um, and he said he went back, they always go back and, and they look back at the numbers of the people they had on their first board and they've gotten less of those like top people that they had on their number one board. I thought that was a nice way of starting to bring people into what they're trying to do without 
naming any names without yeah, giving behind up the any- curtain a little bit yeah. of how they approach the recruiting yeah. process. And then he said, uh, the question about, I thought this and I'll end on this before I go too long winded about recognizing the safety importance about how the game has changed because the passing attack has become so, uh, so dominant in college football and how they know that they are, they were so thin at safety and how important that is. Those are the things that like, we want to hear like that. Like I was like getting excited, like listening to him. Like he's not giving up anything. He's just saying we need to build depth at safety because college football is changing. And, and this is what's happening. The passing attack is getting so much more dominant versus the running attack like that is how you bring people slowly into the program and help them feel like they know what's happening behind the scenes without giving up anything, nothing, zero in terms of yeah. like game planning. Well, it's little stuff. nuggets like that that will help for sure. And they also said the thing about uh, they had a plan to go to every Virginia high school yeah. uh, and visit every Virginia high school before COVID hit as well. So hopefully they implement that going forward. That would be cool because we definitely. We always hear how we want to get back to our roots, back to Virginia football players, and that kind of thing. So that was good to hear. He indicated Waller will be back next year, and that, quote-unquote, several other seniors are coming back. We'll see. Ham mentioned Ashby and Hewitt specifically. He's going to try to get them to come back. He obviously values those two guys. Uh, You mentioned Herbert and Diablo being gone. Fuente did also say the inconsistency this year was his fault. Um, So taking a little bit of accountability there. And he also said the foundation is set to be the best developmental program in the country, which is something he said when he was hired, but now it's set. So, so now we're good. (laughs) And listen, you can, that's a good thing. That's a good goal. However, you got, let the results speak for themselves. Like you don't got to keep saying that because we know the only two positions you can develop right now are O-line and tight end. And let's be honest, we got two of our best O-linemen walking out the door right now, so even that's not looking great. Show us. Don't don't talk about it. Show us. Technically, um, technically it's three because Darisol is going to the draft. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the offensive three. line could be could be a struggle bus next year if we but can't I'll, get I'll add one more, Nestor to come back. One more point to that is just – it was just he he just seemed more honest in this in press conference. So like I know we've been very negative and I apologize for that, but like we're just taking what we're we're served here. Like I can only eat the meal that, you know, is foot thrown down on the plate. So that's kind of And it where wasn't we're a at. very good season. <laughs> yeah. And it it was rough, but he did seem a little bit more humble and transparent. And the weird part is, is that wit seemed the opposite in this whole thing. And maybe they decided that they were going to do good cop, bad cop in this, <laughs> yeah. how it was going to go out. But, um, it, it doesn't, he doesn't strike me as somebody that doesn't have the best interests of Virginia tech in mind. He just strikes me as person that maybe not be the right person for Virginia Tech. And that's what all of us have always come back to. It's it's not a fault. It's not like, you know, you go to a company and you start working for them. And if you don't fit, then you just don't fit. So it's never an indictment on you or your ability or what you could be in the future. It just means that sometimes it just doesn't fit. And he can either, you know, 
fit himself into the program, but I refuse me personally to fit myself into what he wants it to be, which is just like a quiet program because that's not my responsibility as a donor, as a fan, as and what I hear a lot of fans talk to us about and talk just at large about, it is not our job to fit ourselves into him or win enough games and just be that good. Then we'll mold ourselves to whatever happens. Right. And I, I'm with you. He could be good somewhere else. Clearly, the fit isn't perfect. Wit's giving him another chance this year. I mean, and this really seems like a prove it. Like, if Fuente has a dud of a season and wins three games next year, like he's gonna be gone. I, I and I, I would, I don't know what the threshold is. Wit specifically said, like, there's not a game to win ultimatum, and that would be silly because. If your starting quarterback goes down week one, it it changes the whole season. But he obviously has to prove something next year. And if he doesn't, I, I would imagine we'll be having a similar podcast next year about either a firing or him being kept around in another press conference by Witt. Who knows? But it, I always come away listening to Fuente and feeling a little bit better. For the most part, other than ludicrous crap and when he's not being – cool after a game uh there's been a lot of times sons of saturday interview other interviews you know usually on tech talk live i i finish listening and i'm like all right i I can get behind what he's saying but that also worries me because i've fallen for it and we've all fallen for it and we're still not seeing the results and i refuse personally to fall for it again i don't think he's right for virginia tech i hope he wins some games for us next year I'm not going to hope that he loses. I just don't think he's right. And whether that, whether he's fired next year or decides to take another job or whatever, I don't know. But I don't think he's right for Virginia Tech. And I wish I got something better from Wit in that conference, kind of indicating that, like, listen, we're making him prove it. This is his last chance, and then we're going to see. But you can't say that. But he also didn't have to say what he did say. He went on a limb, and like I said, in not so nice ways, involving human centipede. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, one of, he attached himself to Fu. Yeah, they're they're attached by the hip, and he didn't have to do that, but he did. And in any case, I I would implore people to go, just listen to a Mike Young press conference. And then listen right class. afterwards to a Fuente press conference. And then see what you feel as a Hokie fan, the difference is just in the demeanor, the approach, the confidence, the eye contact, the love of it, all those sorts of things. It jumps off the screen every single time that you watch it. And I would implore people to put those side by side and honestly, I would implore Fuente to take a look at more of Mike Young's press conferences and look at himself and be like, what's he doing? And then go to Mike and be like, hey, what 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 goes on in your body before you go after a win or a loss? Doesn't matter. What what yeah. goes on in your body? I, I just don't think he's wired that way to ever 
That's fine. Ever do it, but yeah, but I that's agree stub- with that's the called stubbornness. That's that that yeah. and that is the definition of how failure. Like the, if you are not a willing to like that is people bring that up about Alabama. The only reason that Saban is successful is because he went harder into the passing attack, all that kind of stuff. Like if you are not willing to change, mm-hmm. you will fail. Period. Because times will always change. All right. Well, do you think we're ready for our picks? I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm just going to throw these off the board because I'm still heated. Yeah. Well, we're going to fire through them quick anyway. So it's no big deal. But we got championship week and it's a little exciting. There's some good games out there. Some also like kind of meaningless games because the team that was supposed to be in the game is no longer in the game. But we'll start with Oregon versus USC. USC ended up covering for me last week. Uh, Didn't look good there for a while, but they did. I'm going to take them to cover versus Oregon. Don't feel great about it, but I'm going to take USC. Yeah. Oregon's going to lose its coach, so I'm going USC. Oh, you think Crystal Ball's going somewhere? Yes. Oklahoma versus Iowa State. Big 12 championship. Iowa State five-and-a-half-point underdogs despite beating Oklahoma earlier in the year. I'm going to take Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State. Just absolutely... They're a tough team, man. I love Matt Campbell. Northwestern versus Ohio State, which I, I, this is the Big Ten championship. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I was wondering if these weren't the right teams, but yeah, Northwestern did win that division, right? Yes. So, uh, Ohio State twenty point favorites against Northwestern. Man, I, I'm taking I Northwestern. Like that's, just, that's a bit too large for me. Yeah, I'm going to take Northwestern too. I think they could actually win that game. By the way. I think it's possible, yeah. Look how well Indiana played Ohio State. Louisiana Lafayette, or just Louisiana if you prefer, against Coastal Carolina. This is for the Sun Belt. Coastal, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Coastal. And I, I like that I like that hook. I'm going to take Louisiana. All right. I'm glad you're going to lose. <laughs> We needed something that would be different. Clemson versus Notre Dame for the ACC title. This spread is a, hilarious to me. A rematch, yes. A rematch, a game that Notre Dame won the first time around. Ten and a half point underdogs are the Irish. No respect, man. No respect for the Irish. <laughs> Notre Dame dominated that team like in like that game. That was like... Well, it went to overtime. In comparison to what people thought was going to happen, and, yeah, yeah, and it had nothing to do with the quarterback position. I mean, they, they Ian they, Book has been very clutch this year. Yeah, I, uh, well, needless to say, I'm going Notre Dame. Ooh, yeah, I, I'm going to go Notre Dame too. I mean, ten to and cover. And a half, I, I mean, they may lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go Notre Dame to cover. Bama versus Florida for the SEC title. This got a little bit of the wind taken out of its sails due to a thrown shoe. <laughs> That's exactly right. Florida lost, and uh, I think they're going to lose big in this one. I'm going to take Bama. All right, I'm taking UF. And last but not least, the American Championship, Tulsa to get into versus the playoff. Cincinnati. To get in the playoff. <laughs> uh yeah, people were not happy about the playoff rankings this past week. I'm taking Cincy um, to get in the playoff. I, I'm taking Tulsa to cover. I like it. 
I'm taking Cincy to get in the playoffs. So on all, yeah, we went we went different on three. The same on four. One, two, three, four. Same on four. Different on three. Uh, well, thank you guys for listening. It was it was a long season. Like I said, I think we've recorded. 17 out of 18 weeks we only missed like one week in august yeah otherwise it was august september october november and then up until now uh it's been a long run and we do both have full-time jobs so not complaining we love to do this and and we enjoy it uh but we are in need of a break so you will not be hearing from us (laughs) yeah you will not be hearing from us uh on christmas week so this will be the last podcast you get for a bit but uh we will be back soon um, just to fill you in on basketball and what's going on in recruiting and whatever else is happening this winter. But uh, make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, 2DVT at gmail.com if you have anything you want to ask us. I got someone that sent me an email asking for the song that's our outro. They wanted a copy, the rock and roll version of Tech Triumph. <laughs> that, somebody, that somebody sent to us. Yes, yes, we had a that song you heard at the end of the podcast was from a fan. He just him and his band recorded it. I think his name was Sean, uh, and he was like, "Here, I want you guys to have this. Use it for whatever you want." So we used it for our outro, and people love it. Uh, and then on Instagram, it's at two D V T. Make sure to go to our website two D V T dot com to check our stats, check our beers, and stream every podcast. And until next time, when it may be a new year. Go Hokies.